Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. Drilling Deep is the place in the family of Freight Waves Freight Casts, where we drill deep into the world of oil and diesel. And we also drill deep into whatever other aspect of the trucking and freight sector we feel like talking about this week. We're going to be speaking to a professor from the University of Houston downtown later. He's been focusing on the mental strain that drivers are undergoing as they try to keep the nation's supply chain rolling during the pandemic. But as we always do, let's first turn to oil and let's mark the first week of September 2020 as maybe the time when the shift in sentiment in the market turned. Oil has been mostly stable now for several weeks. At least that's the first perception you get because it hasn't been significantly higher. But then you look at some of the numbers and you realize that you've actually tacked on $8 per barrel since June 1st that to reach a new high for WTI above $43 uh, from just a few days ago. But as that was occurring, so was the decline in the U.S. dollar. The relationship there is pretty straightforward. Oil is priced in dollars, so when the dollar drops, oil tends to rise. So how much of that $8 increase, that was about a 23% increase, was because of the dollar, and how much was because of fundamentals? And sure enough, by Thursday, as I'm recording this, as the dollar started rising, the price of oil started to decline. As I'm taping this, WTI is below $41 and has lost a few dollars off its most recent price in just the past two days. But there's other things beside the dollar. Data is showing that the big rise in demand that occurred coming out of the deepest days of the pandemic is starting to stabilize. The most recent numbers produced by the Energy Information Administration point to some weakness, though it's hard to figure out how much of that demand drop in the most recent report was impacted by less driving and other activity in the southeast as a result of Hurricane Laura. But even putting aside that, the demand numbers in the past few weeks show an oil market that clearly got up off its April lows, but which just isn't showing that much of an increase beyond that as we head into fall. Weak jet fuel demand has been a key factor in the oil market's weakness, and TSA numbers, of course, they showed a huge increase from where things were in April, but recently, they're just not showing any sustained rise in the number of people flying in the U.S. There are reports that physical crude markets are weakening once again, with spreads relative to commodity prices getting weaker as you go out the curve, and lots of cargoes available for sale. In one of the key trading platforms for physical crudes known as the Platts Window, uh, there were reports that on Wednesday there were multiple cargoes for sale and none of them found any buyers. Diesel inventories in the U.S. measured by days covered did tighten a bit last week, but there are other reports that the margin to make diesel in Europe was the lowest in more than 15 years. That's clearly a sign of weakness. It all adds up to a scenario in which oil prices may have hit a high for now. And if it's and if so, it just adds to the fact that as freight rates keep rising, diesel prices are steady to falling. That's not a combination you get all the time. And as we've said before, when it comes to diesel prices, just enjoy it. If you're a consumer of diesel fuel, this is really a sweet spot. Okay, we're going to move on now. You know that truck driving and health are not a great match is not exactly news. Truck drivers suffer from a higher proportion of health-related issues than the general public. Obesity, diabetes, high blood pressure, you all know the list. The demands of the job make staying healthy and eating healthy a real challenge. That's been a subject that's been the focus of Dr. Michael Lemke. He is an assistant professor of health and behavioral science at the University of Houston downtown. 
That is the University of Houston downtown, not the one that was the, uh, the, the one the national championship in basketball several years ago. Uh, Michael Lemke also had been a truck driver. So he's got that perspective of having been behind the wheel. And now he's studying that. So, uh, Dr. Lemke, welcome to Drilling Deep. Thanks for having me. So you recently worked on several studies about the health impacts of COVID-19 and drivers. And uh, can you kind of give me a, an overall summary of what you found? I'm assuming what you found wasn't too positive. Sure. So essentially my papers, they, we didn't use any specific data because there really aren't many data out there for whether commercial drivers are really anybody. You know, they're sort of emerging. Um, but basically what these papers are talking about is you have this uh, population, this working population who's uh, more than ever really being depended on, not just for the typical economic and welfare needs of everybody, but providing essential medical supplies, keeping food supplies in check. I'm sure we all have been ordering probably more in places like Amazon, getting things back and forth. But at the same time, they also are really vulnerable to COVID, um, not only because of the fact that they're traveling all over, coming into contact with all kinds of people, um, but also because they have a lot of existing health issues, like you said, um, issues that we've been beginning to find that are associated with a more likelihood of getting sick, having more severity, and of course, potentially having a, a fatal case. So these people, so, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just saying these papers basically are just trying to bring attention to the fact that we need to pay attention to this. This is a, a potentially really important, um, really catastrophic and drivers. Not only that are potentially pathways. For example, um, you might have a place like New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, who's trying to, you know, trying to quarantine and keep cases in check. You have drivers running in and out of those areas, bringing supplies. They could be pathways to, to transmit the virus all across the country. I remember when New York was a real hot spot back in April and there was all sorts of talk about drivers wouldn't go to New York. And I'm sure some of them wouldn't. But the problem, I won't call it the problem, but the economic reality is that when that happens, the freight rates to New York start to soar, not to just to New York, to anywhere start to soar. And the uh, the opportunity to make a lot of money driving to New York gets so attractive that inevitably some truckers go in there. Wouldn't Would you agree with that? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Back back when I was a driver, New York was always kind of seen as a difficult place to go just, just because of the difficulties in bringing the truck in there. Um, I don't know a lot about um, the economic um, situation now, but I, but I will tell you that um, there's been a, a lot of um, volatility, I'd probably say, in the freight market because while you have higher demand for certain industries like healthcare delivery, um, grocery uh, deliveries, which is why you have um, the lifting of certain exemptions or, or provision of waivers for drivers who are bringing those supplies. In other industries like um, food supply, for example, um, or moving uh, petroleum products, right? So industries where they've uh, had lockdowns, where they've slowed down, those drivers might need to start running into places where they wouldn't normally go. So that, yeah, you're absolutely right. That could influence that. So, so far, you're, are you finding it's tough to get data on how the trucking industry is doing with COVID-19 health issues? Um, you know, it's, it's difficult because, first of all, um, I don't know if the industry um, – I've, I've read some. They're not academic studies, but I, but I know with um, – uh, there have been some news articles written where companies, like if they have an outbreak at – you know, this is back in uh, earlier in the, in the pandemic. It may have changed, but – you know, if there was like, for example, let's say a worker came into a warehouse and they later tested positive. Well, 
Maybe the company doesn't want to shut down the whole warehouse for a week or two. Maybe the other workers don't want them to have to do that. They want to keep working. They need the money. Um, so I think in general, I mean, this has sort of been true of uh, um, of the industry in, in some senses. They don't they don't want necessarily bad press. They don't want the workers showing up being extremely ill, um, partly because they they need the labor, um, and partly because they feel like maybe um, even the drivers might even cover up their own illnesses because they want to keep working. Um, so. I think that there, um, I don't know if anyone has even tried to collect data in, 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 with, uh, you know, for example, incidents, prevalence. Um, and even if they wanted to, um, it's really a difficult population to even study. Um, just imagine, you know, typically if you want to study um, a group of people, you go to one spot, you set up shop, but with commercial drivers, you know, they're so, you're moving all over the place. You have to set up different spots, trying to trying to sample people. It's, it's more difficult to do in, in general with collecting these kind of data. Um, so there's a lot of difficulties with it. Um, I don't know if anyone's even tried to do it yet. I haven't found anything. Maybe there are studies in progress I, that I don't know about. But um, I mean, just in general, um, getting good data on commercial driver health and wellness and safety is, is not easy. Yeah, well, let's let's go to that. It sounds to me like you are focusing in your uh, in your academic research on tr not just trucking, but trucking and health. Is the scenario really bleak right now, even beyond COVID-19? So what, what I've been doing is um, I think tr driver health and um, wellness and safety are, are all related um, you know, for example, drivers who, who are, who are, um, of worse health and they get worse sleep. Um, and then they're going to be less likely to, um, be driving while they're refreshed or they can be more likely to be fatigued. Um, so, uh, can you repeat your question one more time? I'm sorry. Yeah, no. Okay. So just in general, can you talk about your work and what you're finding in terms of driver health? Is it on the upswing at all on the downswing or just kind of a, a constant chronic problem? That's a great, okay. That's a great question. So, um, it's been pretty consistent. I know it had gotten worse for, for a while. Um, if you looked at sort of studies over time, where for example, they looked at obesity, um, that you would see that, um, you know, for example, um, there was an early paper from like a truck show, I think, where they took, uh, were measuring people. And if you sort of looked at trends in obesity and, and studies that came after that, where they would sample drivers. And again, these aren't like, I think there's only been one paper that I can think of where they've really done sort of a broader nas national sample. Um, but it seems like obesity rates sort of went up. But there's sort of a, there's a cap there because of federal regulations and company regulations. So there's sort of a ceiling because eventually drivers will get so big where companies won't hire them. Um, I know when I sort of, uh, when I first started driving, I was 21. Um, they were a little more lax with that kind of stuff and I was hired. Um, uh, but then when I went back, when I was a little bit older, they actually, as part of the new hire training, you had to actually show like they had a, an occupational therapist come in for all the new drivers and you'd have to be able to establish range of motion, um, show that you're physically able to do certain parts of the job. So, Theoretically, if drivers got too big, um, they wouldn't be able to even um, get hired. Um, and that's, plus that's interesting. There's so much focus on drug testing and you know going from uh, going to let's say hair follicle testing is more accurate and the impact that's having on capacity. I don't think I'd heard that before. That size um, and your BMI index uh, would have an impact on your hireability. Yeah, you know, it's a pretty wide gap. Um, you know, there's a lot of leeway. I mean, if you've uh, 
been out on the road, you see a pretty wide range of uh, people's appearance, I'd, I'd say. Um, but yeah, I mean, you get to the point where um, it depends on what route you're on. It depends on how uh, how needy drivers are, uh, uh, how needy companies are for drivers. But I mean, there are a lot of jobs where you have to be able to get in and out of a trailer. Um, and obviously, if you're too large to be able to do that, I mean, how else are you going to be able to secure a load if you don't have a ramp to get on the trailer? I mean, there are parts that are get just to get up when you hook up to hook up the airlines and power line um, to, to when you hook up to a trailer. So there are parts of the job where I, I don't think you could do it physically. Um, and plus, there there have been studies. I'm not as familiar with the research, but there are studies showing that um, when you're bigger, you're you're just a, I think you're a little bit slower to react when you're driving. Um, uh, just moving, you know, when you're driving 65 miles an hour, the difference between an accident and a non-accident can be, uh, fractions of a second. And so, so companies, can, companies can do a lot. Well, they, they can try to do a lot for their own drivers. So again, it's, it's hard because it's not as if everybody's coming into the same depot day in and day out, yeah. but how do you reach independent owner operators and, and try to make that a healthier group? Is it, is it really kind of impossible and, and who would be responsible for it? I'd say it's already almost impossible to help. And if we're talking about over the road drivers, I think it's already very difficult because if you think about it, okay, you have a local driver, they're coming back and forth from the same yard every day. You could put, if you have one location where you have all the drivers going through it on a regular basis, you could put equipment, but for a, for an over the road driver, um, you know, how erratic the scheduling can potentially be. It's very difficult unless you have like a national plan involving uh, trucking companies, truck stop companies, DOT, to really be able to establish like enough of an, in my view, and this is coming from someone who, you know, my first year I gained 50 pounds driving. Um, eventually I was able, I got on a dedicated account. I was able to lose weight, but that's because I had a regular route. I had regular access to physical activity equipment. So to me, if we're going to make like the, the major population level changes that we need for driver health, we need a nationwide coordinated plan grounded in in policies like hours of service um potentially things like the 30 minute break rule those could be uh, potentially tapped to um encourage physical activity for example um so in order to really make a difference it can't be just one company setting up um a gym at one location it has to be really a national coordinated strategy yeah, and of course, you know, you add on top of that the parking problems. They're having a tough time finding a place to park. Yep. It'd be one thing if they could go out and then, you know, go for a walk where they park. But if you park by the side of the, the, the road on, let's say, a, a frontage road or a service road, that kind of makes it tough to walk. Yeah. And I would also like to point people, there are Facebook groups. I think one's called, I don't know if I'm allowed to plug anything. I'm, I'm just a member. Go right ahead. I think it's yeah. trucking, trucking runners essentially is a group where, where drivers will sort of share like um, they'll take pictures and stuff, but they'll um, they'll share like routes where they walk or run. Um, so really, uh, when you're on the road to find acti physical activity, you have to sort of think outside the box. Um, you have to be able to be willing to venture outside the truck stop. And um, the problem, of course, with that is that they tend not to build truck stops in the, in the greatest areas. So not every driver wants to even leave that area. Um, I'm sure I could name a few places where I certainly wouldn't want to wander out from. Yeah. So uh, would you ultimately say then drivers are the protectors of their own health uh, or how much are they going to be able to depend on the, the good works of others? God, you know, that's that's a great question. Um, I mean, you can't take out personal responsibility. Um, and that's sort of one thing that, you know, in my broader view of um, 
whether it's driver health or any anything else, is that you can make policy changes, but there's also a function of the individuals. And um, that there's something called policy resistance, which is a phenomenon where you like you make a policy change. You, it's well intended. It's meant to help. It actually kind of backfires. Um, so whenever you're thinking about implementing policy change, you have to also think about, okay, well, who's going to actually receive this? Are they going to use it? What are sort of these uh, side effects, quote unquote, of what we're going to try to do? And if you try to take the driver out of the equation, that's why they have to be involved in these discussions. It can't be sort of a top down, we're the leaders, we're going to tell you how you're going to get your exercise. I think for anything to make any sort of impact, it has to be driver driven in the end. So what's the kind of next area of research you want to do in this field? And is there data for it? So my, my next area. So I think, um, I think that there's sort of this false dichotomy um, and that's true, not only in driver safety, but really, really in general, um, this false dichotomy between uh, like health, for example, metabolic health, cardiovascular health and, and safety and well, and, and injury prevention. <clears throat> I think they're very very closely related. Um, and I think they influence one another. So I think my, my next step is I, I want to try to think about driver health and safety in sort of this holistic way. Um, and as I, as I mentioned, in this way where it's a, it's a function of um, policies at, at, from the DOT, FMCSA, company policies, truck stop company policies, all the way down to driver behavior and really thinking about how all these different um, inputs and all these different outcomes all sort of interact and interrelate because I think it's a very, it's a complex system. It's a very complicated web. And most of the research so far doesn't view it that way. It tries to look at these uh, little pieces of it, these broken pieces, individual policies, individual behaviors, um, individual fatigue measures. And really, we need to think about driver health and safety in a more ho- sort of holistic, integrated way. And that's where I really want to go next. What have you learned the most? You you have a truck driver background. You said you did two separate stints as a driver early in your life. Then you moved over to the academic side. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times people say, well, what did you learn when you actually got down on the street level? Well, you already were on the street level. Then you mm-hmm. went to the academic level. Yeah. So what did you learn most when you were at the academic level that maybe you didn't know when you were behind the wheel? You know, it's kind of funny. I, one thing I've learned, and this sounds sort of antithetical to science, I guess, but just how important instinct is like we think about science as being the sort of objective um, way to look at things. But really, if you say, what questions are we asking? Well, it's it's a lot of times subjective. It's going on hunches. It's going on guesses. Typically those are informed by um, theory, what we know already or experience, but some of the most innovative research I found is just people going on, um, on a hunch um, or an instinct. Um, and so one thing I've sort of found is, you know, back when I was a driver and I was considering like going to graduate school, and you know, uh, going on to do bigger and better things. And, uh, based on the dedicated account I was on, I'm not going to name them, but I'm, I think it was definitely the right decision <laughs> based on their status. Um, but one thing I've learned is that it's not such a big distinction. It's not a big leap to go from being a driver to studying drivers, because if you have that experience and you have those instincts and you have these ideas, um, I found that you can you can really thrive and succeed in this field. Yeah, well, it's a you know it's a seven hundred fifty billion dollar business, and so it may seem odd on the surface to study the the industry or the, the people who are just doing quote unquote nothing more than driving a truck. 
but the uh, the ecosystem or the economic system of it is so complex yep. and so fascinating. Um, I know I, I, I'm I don't have a trucking background. I'm fairly new to it from joining Freight Waves, and some of the things about it just never you know never failed to amaze me. So yeah. uh, what would you, what would you say to drivers out there if you had to kind of give a final uh, re- recommendation on protecting their health? Uh. Gosh, you know, I think most drivers and I think that's one thing I would criticize the science for is that drivers um, are really adaptive, really resilient. Um, So I don't think we need to teach them lessons. I think we need to give them the tools um, to be able to do the things they already know they need to do. Um, I think and that's where we even see in, in health promotion and prevention programs uh, we tend to want to educate and teach, but I think drivers, they know what's wrong with trying to be healthy on the road. We need to give them access. We need to give them the tools. If they choose not to use them, then that's sort of on them. But if we provide a strategy for giving opportunities for physical activity on a regular basis, if we find uh, give them opportunities to be able to have access to healthier food, if we give them healthcare access on the road, um, I think that's what we need to do. We don't, we don't need to give them advice. We need to give them the tools to do what they, they already know they need to do, I think. Yeah. Well, as they always say out there, stay safe out there, both behind the wheel and also with your health, correct? Absolutely. That's always good advice. And so we want to thank Dr. Michael Lemke, the Assistant Professor of Health and Behavioral Sciences at the University of Houston downtown for joining us today on Drilling Deep. Drilling Deep is the place in the FreightWage family of FreightCast, where you can hear us talk about oil, energy, and whatever else we want to talk about. So today we drill deep into the health of drivers. I'm your host, John Kingston. Please join us again. <music>